it's obvious that when these two team up, the result is magical. This week in tennis. And we brought this dynamic duo together once again. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons. They also call me The Flash. He's Craig Doyle. And they call him, I don't know what they call him, but he's my co-host. And welcome to This Week in Tennis. What's up, dude? Hey man, how are you doing? Reporting to you from lockdown over here. I'm, I'm sure you're in the same situation where you are. Yes, we are. Apparently, we're going to be released from some of it on the 1st of May here in the state of Ohio. But this world has been decimated by a, a virus that who knows what happened. I, I don't even want to get into the politics of it. But at the end of the day, Craig, we had great plans for this week in tennis we had great plans for some new things that we were going to bring in after the Australian Open. And one of those things is Craig and I will be selling our picks, and you'll be able to get those for $19.99 per day at philnasonshow.com. I think that's a good idea. We've been giving free winners away for so long, Craig. It's about time we start charging for some of those winners. What do you think? Yeah, and, you know, just before we broke off, I mean, we were coming up towards Indian Wells. We were getting excited to put the show out, and you were on a bit of a hot streak with the winners at the Australian Open. I, I was, and so were you. I, I think that if people followed our picks and they played $100 on every pick that we gave on this show, and we were only able to do it for like one or two days, we couldn't go too far in advance, they would have won quite a bit of money. I don't think we missed. Um, I had a, I was like, I guess I was 10 and 6. For the Australian Open, something like that. But I started out one and four, I think. So I came back pretty strong. At the end of the day, you've been making money off this show for years, and and, and we want some of ours because you know we put our work into it, we put our time into this. So we want some too. And nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents a day, because we're not going to give you picks every day because we're responsible handicappers also, and we know when to hold them, when to fold them. We know when to walk away, and we sure as hell know when to run, don't we, Craig? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, let, let's go back to the Australian Open, just a view, right? You know, you had a great record there. I, I was able to pick up on Sophia Kennan through um, the second week is, is an, a bit of an outside bet. I think we did a really good turn there, and, uh, you know, we don't know when tennis is coming back. There's little bits and pieces of news, but we're really looking forward to putting this information out there for you guys, and we're all going to make some money. We sure are. You know, I took once COVID-19 hit and everything that I do is either tennis or sports betting. I got pretty much grounded. So instead of hiring someone to build the website for us, I did it, Craig. You saw it. I did a pretty good job for a rookie. Yeah. No, you, you've been talking about this for some time. For you know, years. these people in, but uh, eventually you just decided to use a bit of that free time and get things done well that's what you have to do you know you always have to keep your mind busy especially in situations like this where there's so much uncertainty in the world everything is going to come back and my heart goes out to the people who are struggling financially because there are a lot of people worldwide who are doing this but everything is going to come back and i wanted to make sure and i've been talking with this about this with craig for years i mean years about bringing some of my buddies in, a couple of my soccer buddies who are ex-pros, and different people, and just kind of do our own thing. On this site, I 
found a way to do it finally. I didn't want to spend the money, and I didn't have to, thankfully. And it turned out good. It's philnasonshow.com is where it's going to be hosted. Now, this program is now found on anchor.fm. That's where, and it'll be on all your podcast catchers as soon as this podcast hits the air. We're all set up everywhere as soon as I publish it. But we wanted to take this show to the next level. You know, we did miss a couple of years because we were busy and we weren't sure what we wanted to do. But we always were going to do this, right, Craig? We always were going to work together and sell our picks like we have been doing for years on this program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you laid the game plan out. I think like we were talking about this back when we did the US Open. Wow, was that 2015 when we, you know, we had a few beers and we, we were discussing this. And, and, and that was a long time before we even got there. You were uh, laying the foundations for this. So, you know, this, this has been more than five years in the making. It has been. And it's actually been in the making, this site and what I plan on doing. I've been wanting to do this since I was a 19-year-old kid working in Las Vegas for Frank Rosenthal, who you may be more familiar with the movie Casino. He was the guy that Robert De Niro portrayed in the movie. So I've been around the the handicapping thing a long time, and and I've got a really good record. And we're going to be handicapping all sports, not we're being me and Craig. Craig and I are going to do our tennis. Maybe Craig wants to do some football matches. Um, We also have two soccer guys, football guys, Gary Lewis and Eric Laurendini. Gary Lewis uh, played in the EPL, and Eric Laurendini also did. Um, they have international playing experience. These guys are geniuses. I had them on my show earlier this year, the Phil Nason show, and I think they had a 75% hit rate on the FA Cup for the games that we were doing. So these guys know their stuff. We have them in place. We'll have some horse racing guys, um, real good guys, just guys that I know, guys that have been in the industry a long, long time, maybe not the handicapping industry so much, publicly anyway, but these guys have been doing a lot of things, and you'll find everything at philnasonshow.com, and I'll still be at Win Daily Sports. You can find me there. I'll still be doing my thing for Stat Salt and Winners and Winers. Craig will be still taking fantastic pictures wherever they send him, and we're here, but this tennis the tennis world just came to an abrupt stop. I remember sending you a note on Twitter. And folks, for you who don't realize how this show comes about every once when we do it, it's real simple. I send a tweet. I, I, I send a private message on Twitter to Craig. And that's how it goes. And that's how we started. And we were getting ready to do the Indian Wells event. Um, after, again, that successful U.S. Open or Australian Open, and then everything stopped. And it's amazing to me how quickly it stopped. Wimbledon canceled. Are you fucking kidding me? Wimbledon canceled, Craig. Yeah, they don't cancel Wimbledon. The last time they canceled Wimbledon was during the war. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a massive, you know, blow to the tennis calendar. You know, Wimbledon's one of those crown jewels in the calendar, those uh, four Grand Slam events you know, grass court tennis, it, it happens for about a month, a year, five weeks a year, something like that. So to lose that from the schedule was huge. Um, obviously, you know, we, we're all looking at the U.S. Open now and wondering what's going to happen there. That's, uh, for those who don't know, that's the end of August, start of September. Um, we don't know. We just don't know what's going to happen. Um, we don't. It's scary in a way. You know, when you look at all these things, Craig, and you see these people, right? 
we've got tennis players ranked 200 and, and further down to 1,000 who are basically jobless, and they can't get unemployment for what they do. Um, it's a tough world. Tennis is a tough world anyway. For someone ranked 200 and above, tennis is a tough world. Yeah, actually 100 and above. It's a tough world. And to not have any tennis at all, to not have any opportunities to even coach or, in some cases, even hit. Where do some of these guys go to hit, Craig? What do they do? What do, you, what do we tell these people? What do we tell our listeners the players are doing right now? What are, what are they doing? You know, most of these guys, you know, the top guys are going to be holed up in, you know, their own residences, wherever they are in the world, wherever they've gone back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of these top guys are, you know, they're in a position where they can hit. Rafael Nadal owns an academy. I'm pretty sure Roger Federer's got a tennis court at his residence. You know, um, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, all these guys are going to have um, access to facilities. Uh, whether they've got someone to hit with or not, we don't know. Um but as you go down the chain, there's going to be guys, you know, as we get into the, the guys ranked 100 and girls ranked 100 plus, they're going to struggle because, you know, whatever academies they were training at, they're not going to be open. Um, they might not have access to the facilities to do that. So a lot of these players are going to be working on fitness or almost like going into that pre-season mode where they're building court fitness trying to keep sharpness up but uh that's difficult it's difficult to self-motivate when you don't know when you're going to be back you don't know how intense you want to work you don't want to overwork yourself you don't want to underwork yourself uh they're going to be you know doing the sort of things that you and i are doing (laughs) watching waiting uh trying to prepare but just not knowing when to press that button to go again well, that's just it, and that's what it's all about, motivation. Who's motivated? You know, that's one of the reasons that we don't go hog wild betting on the Australian Open because we still don't know what their motivations are. Not everybody wants to be number one. We don't know what they're up to. We don't know who's injured, whether they're whether they were hurt during Australia or the lack of practice. Maybe they, they took the entire four weeks they were off and did nothing but hang out with their significant others. And try to live a normal life. And then they use the Australian Open as a way to get back into it. Then they start to get a, get some exhibitions. Then they go to Indian Wells. Then they go to Miami. And then they hit the dirt. And then it's off to the races. Usually the the main betting starts, for, for us and for me anyway, at the uh, Indian Wells event. But motivation is a big factor. And the, and the ones that are the most motivated are going to be the ones who take complete advantage of this opportunity who are still getting their rest every day, who are still eating right, who are doing, like Craig said, the cardio and the, and the core fitness. And if you're a top player, and I mean a wealthy top player, more than likely someone is going to hit with you. They probably have people that can do that with them. I don't know what their coaching situations are. It's hard to travel now um, internationally. It's very difficult, which makes me wonder how... Patrick Mortoglu from his from the Mortoglu Tennis Academy in Nice, France, wants to begin something he's titled the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. What in the world is it? I don't really think this is going to fly too well. <laughs> Do you? 
<sighs> what we've got here is a guy who's an opportunist. You know, he's, oh, he's yeah. spotted, he sees this big gap in the marketplace. He's thinking to himself, you know, I've got this tennis academy. I think it's one of the biggest in Europe, actually, down in Nice. It, it is. It is. Um, and, and, and that academy is going to have quite a few players local to it. Um, you know, we're not talking the top stars here, but you, you can have players maybe in the top 50. He's got a few players who are local to there. Some of the French guys uh and then they're going all the way down through, you know, the first couple of hundreds. He's going to have people uh, in both the sort of ATP, WTA tours that's available to him. They, they either live in uh, or around Nice or along the road in Monte Carlo, where, you know, it's quite a, a popular residence for some of the most successful players. Um, very expensive part of the world, as, as we all know. So obviously he's looking at um, taking advantage of the local area, trying to set up some sort of event um, a couple of days a week. I think his plans to do like five weekends or, or something along those lines, and and trying to set up these matches so that he's effectively putting out live sport where nobody else can. It's the ultimate opportunist, you know. It's it's going to upset a few people. It's, it's definitely going to raise a lot of questions about safety. Um, I don't think he's going to make himself hugely popular with the French tennis authorities, but he may be able to put his academy on the map. He's definitely got self-serving reasons for pushing this agenda. He certainly does. Um, he is the coach, technically, of Serena Williams. What and depending on who you want to listen to, either she pays him or he pays her. It doesn't really matter. I kind of find it hard to believe that Serena listens to him very much, but I don't think top players listen to their coaches much at all. Um, that's not a knock against Patrick. Um, he Stefano Sisipas trains there, I believe. I believe Coco Goff also does, but I don't see a benefit other than to promote himself and his business. I I don't see like the match that they technically have scheduled. They've only, they're very uh, closed mouth, if you will, because, well, probably because he's flying by the seat of his pants. He being more Taglu, but allegedly David Goffin from Belgium, who's made it to the grand slam quarterfinals three times is scheduled to face a kid from Australia named Alexi Poprin, who coincidentally, his father is the co-founder of the UTS. Now that's right there. Now for a kid like Popperin, or Popperin, that could be a good chance to showcase who he even is. I mean, that's a win for him. But what does David Goffin gain from playing against this kid in a situation where there's no ranking points available? We don't know how much money is available. What's the what's the benefit for a Goffin? Because I'm having a hard time seeing what the benefit would be for anyone inside the top 50 to want to be a part of this league, this UTS. The only thing I can think of that benefits David Goffin is that he could be the marquee name at this event. I mean, let's let's think of this kind of like an ATP 250 event, you know, one of those lower scale ones right. where you sometimes get a big sort of name drawn in. And if it's only event going out, there's no other sport going out in France or UK or, or back anywhere. in the States. Yeah, right. So they put this thing on and people watch and David Goffin wins this quite easily or, or you know, because he, he's 
by far the best player named thus far in this tournament. It maybe brings him a little bit of name value that he didn't have before. Um, you know, he's gone and got involved in this. He's gone and won it. He's put his name out there. He's in the top 10. So, you know, when you think of the top players at the minute, I don't think too many people off the street would name David Goffin as one of the sort of, you know, top 10 players. He's in there. He's 10th on the ATP Tour at the minute. But uh, he can maybe see the chance to improve his own brand here and uh, launch himself a little bit before the tour comes back, given that he's he's the biggest name in there. But uh, in terms of finance, etc., there's probably not a lot there for him. It, it, it may just be a chance to hit with a few people and, uh, again, improve his own brand. Well, that's what it would be, to improve his own brand. And he would get that opportunity, of course, because they're going to live stream it Perhaps Tennis Channel, he'll sell, Mortoglu will sell rights, TV rights to this, and he'll cash in that way also, and it'll be able to pay the players something. Um, I, I, would, I, I would think, though, that the benefit, the real benefit, again, Goffin is someone who a lot of people aren't familiar with, really. Um, maybe he gets a benefit, but this popular kid, he definitely gets some benefit from this. I mean, I, I've only seen him play a handful of times, maybe. And that was in juniors. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if Patrick Moritoglu, a lot of people say things about him, this and that, whatever. I don't think he's the one to do this. I have, from a gambling standpoint, Craig, I hesitate to even go fishing there in a way because you don't know. There's no real incentive for anyone not to cheat. This isn't a sanctioned event. So what what's to say that Papyrin will be obviously the overwhelming underdog here. What's to say Goffin doesn't take a dive? I mean, it could happen. What would be the ramifications for that? This to me seems more like the WWE. This could be more like the way tennis exhibitions are normally played. Goffin wins the first set on purpose. The other kid will win the second set, and then they play for real in the third. You don't know what's going to happen there or how these players are going to treat it. So there's a lot of uncertainty. So I'm going to take a pause on this. Um, I'm all for it if it works out. I want to see sport back. I want to see tennis back. But I'm going to hesitate to uh, wager anything or offer anybody an opportunity to wager until I'm sure that this is on the level, Craig. That's the key for me. It's got to be on the level. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to these unsanctioned events, you've no idea how much is scripted and how much is you know, actual sport. Um, on paper, it, it may be presented to you as sport, but, uh, you know, you might just be watching the show that they've set up. You have no idea what's going on here. You have no idea what the rule set's going to be. Um, it, it's not something that I would be quick to be putting any money down on. Um, I just see it as, it's, it's almost like an advertising opportunity for, Moratoglu, I, I can imagine that he's probably looking to bring in sponsors on this as well. Um, you'll see uh, sponsorship logos on the backs of the courts or, or, or whatever, whether that's like uh, betting companies, because, you know, these sort of places are really struggling at the minute to, right. uh, you know, sport, the sports book doesn't really have a lot to offer the customer at the minute. A lot of the, the smaller companies, especially in this country, are, are definitely struggling. Um, so it wouldn't be a surprise if he's trying to negotiate to bring on like a betting sponsor and 
various other sponsors just to get some money involved. So, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I really don't like the sound of it from the betting perspective, um, just because uns- you know that you got you got to go back to that word unsanctioned. And when you're unsanctioned, that means that Moratoglu effectively can dictate what happens out there in the court. And yeah, it's it's one to avoid. I would. Now that doesn't mean that we won't, but more than likely the lines are going to be so um, outrageous that it's going to be difficult to bet on that event. From from just what we see from just these two players, I mean, it's often is going to be an overwhelming favorite. But do you risk? You're looking at a minus six hundred favorite, maybe. You're going to risk that. You, what if he tanks? You don't know because again, unsanctioned means there's no rules. The guy who runs the thing makes the rules. And I'm sure the players will have some kind of say in what those rules will be. But until they provide those rules to the rest of us, it might be one to let slide. And then, you know, we see this too. We've been hearing this kind of talk. I've been hearing this kind of talk since the 70s. And talking about merging tours, the ATP obviously wasn't involved in that, but the Men's Tennis Council was. Now, at the end of the day, it appears that some of the top players, including Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, are hoping to see the tennis world become united and the ATP Tour and the WTA Tour merge and be one tennis association. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, Craig? Because I'm not really sure yet. It's a double-edged sword. Sure. You know, there's, there's good points there there's a lot of bad points there there's a lot of the the thing about the tours that a lot of people don't understand is that the tour is made up you know i think the atp tour is made up of about 60 odd events maybe more Mm -hmm. um each of these events has an individual contract with the atp that's negotiated separately They, they don't have standard contracts like you know indian wells doesn't have the same contract as madrid or rome even though they're the same level of event and the prize money's different in all these different events, the, the number of players and the draw for these events is different. Um, and as you go down the tour, a lot of these smaller 250-level events on the ATP tour, they've barely got enough space at the event to actually run like a 28-player draw. I mean, they, they, that's how few courts that they have on the venue. So you've got logistical issues. If, if you're going to like take people out to a 250 level event and say, we're going to have a men's and a women's tournament here this week. And you go, well, how do you make that work logistically? Or, or do you say to people, you know, we're going to half the number of people in the draw so that we can have a, a, a men's and a women's event this week. Does that work? You know, you've got a draw instead of having 32 people in the draw, you're only going to have 16. So then there's less opportunities for players on both sides, you know, those players who you say are ranked outside the top 50 um, in the men's tour and the women's tour, there'll be less opportunities for them to play at tour-level events. They're going to have to go back and play challengers or futures or or whatever. Um, I, I just think like you've got to be careful what you do, and it's it's going to be such a legal battle to to bring all of these contracts together in a way that everyone's happy. You know, there's going to be events that are unhappy. So then they'll take legal action. There's going to be events that can't afford to run um, two simultaneous tournaments at a time. It, it's just there's a lot of steps to get over to get there. But you know, I understand what Federer is saying. Like potentially, it, it would be better 
to to draw a line and find the common ground to do it. But uh, there's a real lot of work to be done before you get to even planning that out. Oh yeah, you know one of the problems, and, and this this COVID nineteen pandemic is going to put a microscope on it because these smaller events, a lot of them are struggling now to survive financially. Not having their events, especially the European ones, those small clubs, and that's going to be very detrimental to them getting another event. That's the first thing. I, I'm worried about the little guys. I'm worried about the kids who are busting their backsides at challengers and, and futures trying to rack up enough points. And how many points are they going to need to get into one of these kind of tournaments when it's just a 16-player draw, if that's what they do? I mean, that's probably the worst-case scenario. I don't know that they're going to merge like that. I don't know if you're going to see more mixed tournaments like you do at Indian Wells and at the uh, Miami event and the Grand Slams. But one of the things that I thought about immediately was, how is the ITF going to take that? Because the ITF is the administration team behind the Grand Slam events, Davis Cup. I mean, we're already seeing some rivalry toward Davis Cup with the ATP Cup or whatever, but this is worse because now you're going to have this, you're going to have to appoint a commissioner, and what kind of relationship are they going to have with the ITF because the ITF governing body has been around a lot longer. Maybe they don't recognize these players playing in this unified environment. And, and that's something that they have to think through a little better. I don't see how, and I know people are saying, Craig, that it's going to help the little guys out more, but I don't see how that's going to be. I don't see how that's going to be at all. In fact, I think what it's going to do is benefit the guys in the top 10 still. The guys that don't have to worry about qualifying for events. The guys that don't have to worry about where their next meal's coming from. And they're going to be able because they're already calling, trying to call a lot of shots as it is. I mean, Roger Federer probably owns half the tour now, when you think about it. What's going to happen if they merge? Will there be three out of five sets for women, too, in, in the majors? Or will they just do away with all that and everyone plays the same? And what about the money situation? Everybody's, the ladies, rightfully so in some cases, are complaining about equal pay. Now what does that do? Is there going to be a unified system for uh, cash money prizes? How is that going to work? And I, I just think that there's more headaches involved in this that they want to let on. I think that this is going to be a difficult thing if they do it. I, I'm not so sure that they will be able to. But the only benefit it could have is for the top players on either side of the draw. That's the only ones that would truly benefit from it. And they're the only ones that are speaking about it. Because Nick Kyrgios, he says he doesn't like it. I mean, and I and he said, did they ask us to vote yet? Because I would bet you, if they put this up to a vote on both tours, that this gets turned down, hands down. Uh, yeah, no, that's, you know, there's going to be a lot of people outside the top 50 are going to vote against. Um, of course. I, I, you know, the turkeys don't vote for Thanksgiving, do they? <laughs> they sure don't, do they? You know, would you vote to have less money? Less opportunities. You know, if you're outside the top 50, as you said, you might not be qualifying for as many events now as you were previously. If you right. don't qualify for the event, you don't get the prize money. That's exactly you know, that's, right. That's how it works. The prize, and everyone knows that the prize money outside of the tour level is, you know, significantly less than it is at tour <laughs> level. It's bad enough at some of these small tournaments on tour level. 
But uh, you know, if if you certainly like if you if you drop out of there, you're, you're just not going to make any money anywhere else. So it's it, it's just yeah, it's it's a real difficult one. Like on paper, it sounds if you're starting from scratch, then you know it sounds like a a great idea. But when you've already got this set up and people are used to having this one one way of doing things and they're used to the prize money that they're getting and they're used to having the opportunities that they're getting and then you're telling them there's going to be less opportunities, that's it's, it's going to be problematic. going to be very problematic, but we'll have to wait and see how that works out, Greg. I don't think anything's going to happen this season. If anything does, it'll... But then again, we don't really know what a season is anymore, do we? And how's it going to look when they return? And, and more importantly, something that has been really bothering me because I've been involved in grassroots tennis for a long time. What's going to happen with these junior kids who don't have anyone to practice with? They're not playing any events at all. These kids in high school who are using their last year of eligibility as a way to get noticed, going to national tournaments to get noticed by colleges to possibly go to college on a scholarship in America. Those opportunities are going to be less also. And then we have colleges cutting back programs because they don't they didn't get their basketball money or whatever because the season was abruptly halted due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I've learned pandemic, Craig. I can say pandemic three times quickly too. But at the end of the day, there's more the only people that benefit from any of these things are the ones that have all of it anyway. The Federers, the Nadals, the Djokovic's, and on the other side you have Serena Williams and this and that. They're the ones who benefit no matter which way this swings. So I don't pay that close attention to what they say. I'm more interested in what the younger people are saying, and I'm more worried that tennis as a sport is going to suffer more than any other sport because of the nature of the game, the necessity for travel. That's going to be changing. It's going to have to. The necessity to practice and to um, play as many tournaments as you can. These kids can't play these tournaments. They can't even practice. What are they going to do? How they, you miss a year, you know, the people are going to just find other things to do and walk away. Tennis is a difficult sport to make a nickel at. And now you're taking that away because of this. How is that all going to look? What's going to happen to the sport? That's what I'm most concerned about, Craig. What happens to the sport of tennis because of this pandemic? Well, um, <laughs> the one... Th- the one like thing that strikes me about tennis is it was the first sport to really stop, and it's probably going to be the last one to start just because right. it's such an international sport. You know, when you go to one of these events, and I'm not just talking about the Grand Slams, but um, these big tournaments like Indian Wells, Rome, Madrid, there's people flying into these from everywhere, not just players, but like you know, the media people are international, the supporters, the fans are coming from all over the place to get a look because, you know, tennis is only in time for a week, two weeks tops, and then it goes somewhere else. Um, the, the threat of bringing the virus in from here, there, and everywhere just means that it, it's so, so difficult to to put a finger on when they're going to start again. Um in terms of when it comes back, I mean, like, even even looking at team sports, I find it difficult to understand how you can have an audience in with the potential that one person spreads a virus and then suddenly you have a whole batch of people taking that virus and then, then they leave that arena 
they they go start spreading it again. So how how do they conquer that until there's a vaccine in place? How long does it take to get that vaccine out there? I mean, you and I have both worked at these slams. I mean, if you've ever been, and I'm throwing this out to the audience, if you've ever been at a slam, you know what it's like when you've been watching trying to get from one court to the, the next court and the number of people out there <laughs> right, on the right, courses right. and uh, on the grounds, you know. If, if you're trying to go from, you know, you know at Wimbledon, if it, let's just say you're going from court one at one end and you want to go up the other end to court two or something, it, it's it's crazy, you know. The number of people that you got to shuffle past. and Right. Uh, Human how, gridlock. <laughs> it, yeah, it, yeah, man, it's crazy, like. Or, or, or when you come out of Arthur Ashe in the evening session and everyone's trying to cram back up onto that uh, subway line. Right. <laughs> That's crazy stuff, man. I've been there uh, loads of times. You're, you're trying to get up back onto that subway and it's just like you can't get anywhere near the trains because you've, you've got people all over the place in front of you. And, you know, how, how do they logistically work that out with the social distancing? And uh, it's, wow, it's, it's crazy <laughs> stuff. Well, they uh, don't work uh, it out. They don't. You know what's going to happen is they're going to be playing in these events without fans. This is what this is what Mortaglu is going to start. I think this is going to give folks a, an idea how it's going to look. They'll live stream it. They'll put it on networks. They'll sell it everywhere, and, and you'll be, it'll be more available in a safer way to enjoy it. But and I know the players. Some people like crowds. Some people don't. Um, that's neither here nor there. They're going to still be able to go out and bang it out because in juniors, they didn't have that many guys watching them. So, I mean, but yeah, it's like a human gridlock, especially at the majors and the U S open. If the New York Mets are playing that night too, you've got even more problems on the seven train. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's a difficult thing. And, and I'm glad that I don't have to be responsible to make those decisions. Um, I really am. I'm, I'm thrilled to be back on the air with my friend Craig. I know we've, don't come on very much anymore, but we're going to start. It's been an interesting day, I got to tell you. It really has. It's been an interesting six weeks without tennis, and we're going to miss a lot more. I don't know if the U.S. Open is going to be played or not. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. This week in tennis, we'll be back. We're going to assume our rightful place as the number one tennis podcast anywhere. We're going to continue to take on controversial issues. We're going to continue to give you winners. We're going to also sell you winners. And we're going to all enjoy the sport of tennis, both visually, emotionally, and financially. For Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nasons. Thanks for listening to This Week in Tennis. This Week in Tennis.